0: Hello and welcome back to the Lifting Cub podcast. I'm Jazz and I'll be bringing you fitness education with practical application. It's bloody hot right now. Um, I've got my window shut when we're in the middle of a heatwave in the UK. Actually, we're probably far past this heatwave in the UK by the time I actually get the balls to post these podcast episodes. For now, I'm just recording podcast episodes for myself, but that's fine. I will be posting them. Um but today's episode is a part two and it's part two of our discussion about fat loss and metabolic adaptation. So in the last episode I talked about the effects 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 that fat loss can have on different parts of our metabolism including things like our hormones and energy expenditure mainly and why these impacts can be a roadblock for some people wanting to lose weight. But at the end of that episode, I also reassured you that fat loss can be achieved effectively with those adaptations being kept to a minimum, and that's what we're going to be talking about today. One thing we spoke about last time is that one of the results of being in a calorie deficit over time is the reduction in NEAT or your non-exercise activity thermogenesis. So when there's less energy available in the body, the movement you're doing subconsciously, is reduced to conserve energy to protect yourself. So you're not going to be fidgeting as much. You'll probably be more likely to sit down rather than stand up. You'll talk with your hands less. And there's not much we can do about that, you know, because by definition, neat is something that's out of our control. The one way we can try to keep the energy we burn per day relatively even throughout a weight loss phase is to have a step target so that can be tracked with either an Apple Watch or a Fitbit or something or just kind of like the pedometer built into your phone and monitoring steps can be a good way of keeping energy expenditure up and we can use extra steps so prescribing extra steps for people as a tool during a fat loss phase if the rate of loss begins to slow down as a way of increasing the size of the deficit. Programmed cardio can also be used as a tool in a fat loss phase to expend energy. However, if we are going to include something like cardio, it should be done with, you know, good thought and consideration of how it's going to impact your overall energy levels and also your other training as well. Whilst intense cardio is obviously going to expend more energy in a short time frame, if we're doing it at too high of an intensity, it could lead to, you know, build-ups in, Unnecessary fatigue and also could damage your performance in your kind of lifting sessions and also your ability to recover from those lifting sessions as well. So, if the cardio is purely to support fat loss, I generally recommend kind of and prescribe for my clients a more moderate intensity approach. Typically, this could look like you know two or three 20 to 30 minute sessions per week, depending kind of on the individual how much we need to do and also their kind of availability time they have to be able to kind of commit to some additional cardio. And I usually ask that it's done at an intensity where their heart rate is raised and they could just about, only just about maintain a conversation. So that kind of level. And that might be, you know, on the Stairmaster if you, you know, if you're a bit sadistic and can hack 20-30 minutes on the Stairmaster or the bike or an inclined treadmill walk you know at a good pace something like that. I also like to start a fat loss days without formal cardio and usually just a step goal and I kind of keep cardio as a bit of a tool in the tool belt if fat loss plateaus or if someone gets to the point where they'd rather increase expenditure rather than make a calorie drop. Overdoing the cardio can definitely have some detrimental effects on the rest of your training and overall kind of just experience of the phase because it can be time consuming and just tiring as well. So, if our goal is to lose fat whilst minimizing metabolic adaptation and also maintaining as much of our muscle as possible, one factor that we're going to have to consider is the rate at which we lose fat. We know that excessively aggressive fat loss protocols can put us at a greater risk of experiencing loss of muscle and a reduced metabolic rate. More moderate rates of weight loss have been shown to kind of help us preserve strength in muscle and so while it's going to take a bit longer to lose the same amount of fat it seems like that's going to be a better approach. Current recommendations would suggest losing about 0.5 to 1 percent of your total body weight per week. So if you're 70 kilos, that'd be 0.35 to 0.7 kilos loss in a week. But do note that you won't be losing at a perfectly linear rate throughout the entire fat loss phase. It's really normal to have kind of some weeks where loss is a bit faster, some weeks where you might plateau for a bit or rate of loss is a bit slower. But that um, 0.5 to 1% of your body weight per week is a kind of good average goal over time. Another way we can manage metabolic adaptation is also by thinking about the time we spend in the deficit. One technique I implement quite a lot with some of my fat loss clients is doing multiple fat loss phases with periods of maintenance in between. Unless someone's already pretty lean, it's likely that they're going to need a decent amount of time spent in a deficit to get to this body fat percentage that they're aiming for that they're thinking of and so breaking this period of time in a deficit breaking this up into phases with this maintenance phase in between both you know reduces the likelihood of metabolic adaptation but is also beneficial from other perspectives as well firstly during the periods of maintenance their energy levels are going to be up and therefore they're going to have you know more resources to put into their training more carbohydrates more glycogen better training performance and therefore better muscle growth. And also, also it's just a good mental break, you know, fat loss requires accurate macro tracking, uh, making some sacrifices and, and constantly kind of planning, thinking ahead and things like that. And also occasions where you're a bit hungry or a bit lower energy. And there's only so long that someone can like mentally hack those things. And so personally, I like to program fat loss phases. It's dependent on the individual, usually eight to 15 week blocks, I'd say is the kind of range I go for. It's quite an auto-regulated thing. So we kind of monitor how they're feeling and how progression happens throughout the phase Um, with anywhere between, you know, two to eight weeks plus at maintenance in between those fat loss phases. Some people might want to stay at maintenance for a bit longer. Maybe they got A busy or stressful period in life coming up, and a a deficit isn't suitable right now for them. So they say, okay, I'm gonna. I'd like to set maintenance for a while, and then after X Y Z has passed, I'd like to go back into a deficit, or some other people might want to get back into it relatively quickly. So as I said, you know that's going to be quite based on the individual. Now, there's a few other things we could consider during a fat loss phase and back in part one we spoke about the impact of fat loss and weight loss on hormones such as leptin. One possible way we might boost leptin and thyroid hormones is by implementing refeeds. Now refeeds usually last just a few days and they involve increasing calorie intake usually through additional carbohydrates. Other potential benefits of a refeed um, other than kind of the potential for them to boost leptin and and potentially thyroid hormone levels are going to be an increase in energy expenditure on those days with higher calorie intake. You know, if we've got more food going in, it's likely that your expenditure will increase. We'll also get greater, you know, hopefully have some greater stores of glycogen within the muscle, so that's good for training performance. But also, it's just often good for a bit of a mental break from the restricted calorie intake and. It's nice to have a few one or two days where we're getting feeling more satiated, um, which might be, you know, the pick me up that someone might need to keep pushing forwards in their deficit. So I'd usually do this by bringing someone's calorie target up to around maintenance levels for one or maybe two days. So it doesn't mean, you know, just eat whatever you want on a refood all day. It's it's a controlled approach, bringing calories up to around maintenance levels. And, you know, some people might have one refeed per week, others far less regularly. As always, it depends. It depends on the individual. And, you know, it's often sensible to align these refeed days with pre-planned social occasions or events. So if someone says to me, I've got this coming up in two weeks, we can say, OK, well, on that day, let's plan to have your calories at more around maintenance levels. It's going to be a nice mental break. It's going to be a lot easier. You know, you're going to have a lot more leeway at that event. And it's going to be less of an ordeal trying to stay in a deficit that day. And we might have some benefits from, you know, increased energy intake and things like that. And we can also think about taking slightly longer periods out of a deficit within the fat loss phase. And they're going to be called diet breaks. These would usually be maybe one to two weeks at around maintenance calories. And they share similar benefits to a refeed, but seem to do an even better job at kind of mitigating reductions in our resting energy expenditure when we look at fat loss phases as a whole. Now as I said these increases of calories should be coming mostly from carbohydrates. So for example you might increase every meal increase carbohydrate serving by 10 grams or you could increase an extra carb-based snack into your day for example. Now the obvious drawback of both a refeed and a diet break the diet break even more so since it's a longer period is that it's going to take longer to lose the same amount of fat than doing a fat loss phase without them because we're taking time at maintenance and therefore it's slightly extending the fat loss phase so that's just something to consider if we're kind of time restricted in terms of our fat loss phase and we're working towards a goal we might not be able to implement these as much whereas if someone doesn't really have a time frame they're working towards they just want to do it in a successful way that's also you know manageable and somewhat enjoyable then we might implement them more regularly. You might notice that I try to avoid using the term weight loss because really what people are looking for is fat loss. Most people want to maintain the muscle they have so we don't really want to be losing lots of muscle when we're in a fat loss phase and one way of doing this and trying to protect the muscle that we do have is by keeping protein at a sufficient level. So that's going to be around the 1.8 to 2.2 grams of protein per kilogram of body weight per day. Another benefit of keeping protein at a good level is that it's said to be the most satiating macronutrient so it can help you keep feeling fuller for longer. Another thing I ensure my clients maintain is a sufficient amount of fat. So one of the many roles of dietary fat is in hormone production and regulation. So those negative impacts on, you know, sex hormones and leptin and cortisol that I spoke about in part one can be mitigated or minimised by keeping dietary fats above a minimum level so generally i recommend getting around 20 to 35 percent of your calories from dietary fats and i'd avoid going below 0.6 to 0.7 grams of fat per kilo of body weight per day so aim to not drop below that level if we want to minimize the chances of detrimental impacts on our sex sex hormones within a fat loss phase in a deficit One final point I just wanted to touch on before finishing is that we did discuss how stress can occur during a fat loss phase. Being in a deficit is inherently stressful to the body. And one thing we can do to mitigate these stress levels is by getting sufficient sleep. Sleep is a magic tool when it comes to all things muscle gain, fat loss. It is so key. And if you want to put yourself in the best possible position Reduce stress levels and things like that, getting good sleep should be a real priority too. So, there we have it. It may have sounded all doom and gloom for you in part one if you're kind of looking to lose fat, but hopefully, this is showing you that fat loss is absolutely achievable in a healthy way if we're considerate of all the above principles. If you found this episode useful, it'd be amazing if you could share it with a friend or maybe on your Instagram story to help spread the word and some, you know, practical fitness education. As an online coach, you can work with me one-to-one where I help my clients to reach their potential through structured, personal and very educational coaching. If you're just looking for a training program without the in-depth contact with me, my Ladies Lifting Club programs would be really good fit for you. I'll leave my Instagram details along with all the coaching and program information in the show notes below so you can have a browse of that and see what works for you. But as always, if you've got any questions about what I've spoken about today or any questions in general, I'm always more than happy to help. So my DMs are always open on Instagram. But for now, thank you so much for listening. I really do appreciate it and I look forward to speaking to you all again shortly.